Let's spell a song so you can sing along with my special guest or two. Or two. You like to sing and dance, and this podcast by chance explores musicals for you. everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Life's But a Song, a podcast that likes to live in the land of musicals. I'm your host, John, and with me today is a very special guest. She is a New York City-based actress who plays Mary Sanderson in the viral videos produced by Dead Man's Toe Productions, singular, unlike what I originally wrote. She was a guest on my other podcast, Movie Deja Vu, and she's also my bestie. It's Lori Gismondi, everyone! Yay! Woo! Woohoo! You just can't get rid of me. I'm like fungus. I never really go away. Girl, we are we are attached at the hip, metaphorically speaking. Uh, <laughs> we ain't going anywhere. It's funny. This is episode seven, and we're doing Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. Ah! I didn't plan that by the way. And this is your choice. You were the one that picked this. Yes. Yes, I did. (laughs) For a number of reasons. But yes, we'll get into those later. We'll get into that later. But first, let me give a little background. For those of you who don't know this movie, it came out in 1954. The screenplay was written by Albert Hackett, Francis Goodrich, and Dorothy Kingsley, based off the story, The Sabin Women, by Stephen... Vincent Benet. I hope that's how you say his last name. Music by Jean, Jean DePaul and lyrics by Johnny Mercer. It's directed by Stanley Donan. Donan? Donan. I can't pronounce names. <laughs> that's a I, I, running I, theme. I'm finding this out. Okay, continue. <laughs> and according to IMDb, in 1850 Oregon, when the When a backwoodsman brings a wife home to his farm, his six brothers decide that they want to get married, too. Um, Lauren, why did you pick this movie when I told you about this podcast? (laughs) Well, for starters, um, something you left out that I think is extremely important as far as credits are concerned is Michael Kidd uh, was the choreographer on this movie. And here's the thing. It's one of the movies that I grew up with and I didn't remember a lot of it, but what I did remember, what has stuck with me since I was a child is the almost, I think it's like a 15 minute long dance break and fight sequence in the middle of the movie. The barn. And I just remember being a kid thinking that is insane. Look at them go. It's nonstop. How do they do it? <laughs> So, so that is initially why. <laughs> so the barn dance itself, the one where the two, the Pontipi brothers and then the townsmen are dance battling is only six minutes and 32 seconds. Yes. But then, you know, and they that, do the barn raising. Yeah, I include that, that whole fight sequence that happens with the barn as well in that. Which I, on occasion, just watched the barn dance um, for the last few years. I mean, I, I like you, saw this movie as a kid. Not a lot. My movie of choice was Grease. Um, <laughs> <laughs> nice. Okay. And um, I saw it, like, maybe 10 years ago when I, uh, just because a friend of mine was like, you need to rewatch it. And then now I'm rewatching and I'm just like, Lauren, I need to wear my pussy hat and, like, throw things. No, no, there's a lot of problems, a lot of problems that didn't really exist in 1954 and even earlier when it was produced on Broadway that, you know, now we watch and we're going, oh, no, oh, no. So you're not wrong. So it's funny that you mentioned the Broadway because I found that it was after the movie that it was on Broadway. Oh, you know more than me. I did I did some research. But Thank you. Like, One of us we'll, had to. <laughs> we'll get to that. We'll get to that in a minute. But you just want to, you like this movie as a kid, obviously. Do you still like it? She sighs deeply. Um, Problems aside, like, do you like 
the talent or do you like the dancing or the costumes or oh yeah overall i think it's it is good for what it was then i think it showcases howard keel in a really great way and jane powell as well and i mean the fact that they had you know dancers from the new york city ballet coming in to play the brothers i mean stuff like that we see it happen every once in a while now but to see it on such a grand scale and to see them utilized in such a great way i don't know if that happens as often Maybe that's just me being partial. I don't know. No, because now you have, like, people who aren't, actors who aren't known for singing in musical movies. Right. And it's just like, I mean, you guys have the talent. Clearly, there are talented folk that can, like, fudge the singing and acting, but can, like, pirouette to no return. Mm -hmm. Or there's a, a baseball player that's on contract of the studio system that needs to do a movie and can't dance for shit like whatever yeah you're right it harkens back to the days when there was like when you had an ensemble of performers and there was like the singing chorus and then the dancing chorus Mm -hmm. and it was two separate entities and only in like the last 50 years has it started to meld into one thing right and doing doing different episodes of these of this podcast it's like Mm -hmm. figuring that out more especially as we creep closer to like present day right um but let's let's get back to seven brides there are i counted i found 16 songs whether or not they were considered like songs that with the with singing or not because you know they count the barn dance and barn raising and there's oh yeah yeah and a score yeah Yeah. (laughs) but it (laughs) was right off the bat with bless your beautiful hide with adam on the hunt for a wife it's just like oh that's a that's what this movie's about i forgot (laughs) (laughs) it's true my i mean the first thing i wrote down was the opening side eye (laughs) before he even starts to sing in fact he's like looking around at the women and one woman gives him like the most delicious stank eye i was like yeah I'm here for the side eye at the top of the movie. Because <laughs> that's how I'm going to feel for the next almost two hours. Right there. But I did like, oh, what was her name? Mrs. Bixby? Is that her name? The, I think so, yeah. The the general store's owner's wife. Yeah, the propri- I would call her a proprietress. Proprietress. Because she was the one that was like, Girl, this is called feminism, and what you're talking about isn't right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, welcome to what did what did I say? 1850. Yeah, in Oregon, <laughs> no less. None of that is talked about because you know it's like you know you're in the West ish or the Midwest, and you know it's obviously not 1950s. But other than that, anyone's guess. <laughs> <laughs> so I I have a lot of research on the background if you want to get get into that for a little bit let's go okay so the sabin women have you heard about this at all what they based on no i mean they talk about it in the movie yes because he's saying it, he says he pronounces it incorrectly that's what i mean to say yeah um, in the bible like the, the biblical story so yes well so it's a short story by Stephen Vincent Benet, that is a parody of the quote rape of the Sabine women. Um, it's not necessarily what we know as raping these days. It is a non-sexual version where they are basically kidnapping the women. Yeah, it's an abduction. And it's a Roman myth written by uh historian Livy. I don't know. I I'm I Wikipedia all this, so take everything with a grain of salt. <laughs> may or may not be true. Got it. <laughs> so what what the movie obviously takes from it is um, the men of Rome, following Romulus, uh, abduct young women from like satellite cities in the region, and Romulus wanted to like maintain the city's population, uh, Rome's population. And also the women had a choice to stay and would be, would have civic and property rights. 
not bad for an abduction, you know? Who gets... I'm going to steal you, but if you choose to stay, yeah, here's so, some land and some citizenship. Congratulations. I read that it was only like 30 women were abducted. One was mm-hmm. married. The other were virgins. And they all of course had choice. They well, yes, of course. Welcome to Roman Myths, everyone. My name is John <laughs> with me is Lauren. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, I'm fine. <laughs> Come back. So basically, the last mm, third of the movie is what's based off of that. And right. Oh boy, <laughs> a lot to unpack. Where to begin? <laughs> I'll talk. Yeah. Okay, there are things though that I did like. Like, yes. Yeah, so let's start with what you said. It's the sharps, right? We're going to talk about the oh, sharps and the flats, or is that that's later? Later. All right, I'm not in charge. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's later. Don't worry. I'll guide you. I got you, girl. <laughs> I got always got a kick out of the fact, out of their names, that they are named after figures in the Bible, except for Frank. Poor Frank. Poor Frank. <laughs> um, and actually, actually, it's poor Dorcas this episode, because Julie Newmar, the classically trained ballerina and a giant, was always, like, shunned to the side. I had to look up, because, you know, you see, there's the scenes where you see her with the other women. She's right. 5'11". Yeah. And I, I'm just, I'm always just like, poor Dorcas. Like, she's stunning, and she's, like, in the background. <laughs> Towering over the other brides. Right. Um, where do I want to go with this? You know what? I could spend like 12 hours talking about the barn dance. <laughs> well, you brought up the choreography. The choreographer. Yeah. What else is he known for? Do you know off the top of your head? Because I, I didn't do research it. into that. <laughs> it's okay. No, Michael, uh, let me double check because i obviously do not want to be filled with lies we don't try not to do that here right i mean i just cited wikipedia so who cares <laughs> i know but i don't want to have to cite wikipedia when i have other notes that i have set aside for this exact thing michael kid oh he's done so many things please i mean hold. that's a name that i know obviously right. from this time period well, there's that, and also I feel like the other reason people may have heard of him <laughs> is he is um, pulled as a name during um, the Birdcage when Robin Williams is going through all of those different choreographers to try and evoke something out of his mother. That's yes, it. you get Martha Graham, Martha, Martha Graham, Graham, Michael Kidd, yeah, Michael, Michael Kidd. Madonna, Madonna, yes. Madonna. Yeah. <laughs> and it's all of those, and those are some big names in that list. Michael Kidd, Merkin Choreographer. Oh, here we go. Good old IMDb. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Hello, Dolly, guys and dolls. Um, oh, yeah. Um, it's always fair weather. That's dancing. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> He's gone for a ton of things. Um, goodness. It just, the list goes on and on from there. Those are the big ones that are like worth me being like, yes. And in addition to seven brides for seven brothers and where's Charlie, I guess some version of Peter Pan, little Abner guys and dolls, the bandwagon. I mean, he point being the dude has an incredible discography or filmography, I guess I should say to be more um, correct. Danceography. Yes. He's got his, he's choreographed for some of the best out there and has, you know, a rather vast following, but because, you know, it's, my dad would say, um, you know, all these people are dead, right? <laughs> he's like, that's why we, you forget a little bit. Not baby Russ Tamblin. He's still alive. He's the only one. That's Well, so it's interesting that you have the Ponteby brothers and yes. <laughs> each man isn't a triple threat. No. Really. Because you've got no. Howard Keel. He's the professional singer and actor and oh my god a ton like, of broadway credits a just, ton <laughs> just like sing me to sleep please thank you <laughs> um then you have jeff richards who played benjamin he's a former baseball player in the minor leagues and he cannot dance for shit <laughs> you like you you see that one song going courting he's yeah. clearly on the side 
for two thirds of the song. He's the most afraid and the most nervous. Okay, it's a character choice they built on that. You have Matt Maddox. Oh, poor guy, who plays Caleb. He's a professional dancer who was on Broadway in Hollywood and in Hollywood films. Mm-hmm. Mark Platt was Daniel. I don't know how well you know your Oklahoma knowledge. He originated the role of Chalmers and Dream Curly on Broadway. There you go. Yeah, yeah. a big dance role. Um, Ephraim is Jacques Dambois. Dambois, yeah. Dambois, there we go. Clearly, like I said, I don't know how to say last names. <laughs> Um, he was the principal dancer with New York City Ballet. <laughs> he was on loan, yes. Yes, they borrowed him. <laughs> Tommy Rawl played Frank. And for those of you who may have listened to my Funny Girl episode, he was in that as the prince during the song The Swan. And then you have Russ Tamblin, who would later go on as West Side Story, but was more of an acrobat. So they were like, oh, do yeah. flips and yep. stuff. So at least, unlike Jeff Richards... Russ Tamblin could do something. <laughs> He's also, he, this is uh, the actor who played Gideon, correct? Just so I'm not confused. Yes, the baby. He's also that, I believe firmly that Gideon and Millie are the most redeemable characters. Or they have the most redeeming qualities. I loved Millie throughout the whole movie because, yes, um, she married Adam right off the bat. But like... Yep. She was just like, nope, we are doing things my way. This is my sh- my house, my rules. You will be clean. You will be nice. You will be polite. You mm-hmm. will be gentlemen of society. We are getting you wives. God yep. damn it. Mm-hmm. So, like, she owned that household. And then when they abducted the women, she was like, fuck you, fuckers. Get the fuck out. <laughs> exactly. I felt Russ Tamblin was the one that was just more like... Didn't really want to do the plans of his brothers, but obviously he has to side with them because that's all he knows. It's true. And then, but out of all of them, I think he has the biggest, he has probably the second largest growth of any of them because he starts off fairly timid, but he also is the first one who kind of clings to Millie in a way. He's like, I want to learn. I want to be better. Show me how. (laughs) Would you want to play Millie? I think so. I or, think if they were cool with there being a fat Millie, I, I would be into it. Or if we were to do a production where it was colorblind and genderblind, which character would you want? If I could play anybody. You could play anybody. Oh, man. You could be a horse if you want. <laughs> Can I be the barn? <laughs> That's what I would really want. But if I have to pick something that's actually living, I would definitely say the Parson. The Parson is hands down my favorite character because he's just, he's struggling. (laughs) Everything around him is going completely cuckoo and he's just sort of struggling his way through it. And that last, that last moment when he's like, just please tell me who, who does the baby belong to? And they're all like, it's mine. (laughs) That's one way to get what you want. Okay, let's talk about that ending now. Now, thank you for bringing it up. Do you think that the girls actually liked the boys? Or do you think it was some sort of uh, Stockholm Syndrome? I think it's possible it's both. Because I feel that way for Millie as well. I I include her under that umbrella. Because, I and I even wrote it down, it was for them, for her and Adam, it was love at first bite. And how food is used as a solve-all throughout the movie. Like when there's a problem, you're probably hungry. Or maybe somebody needs to feed you. That's a sign of love. Um, That's baby tangent. Um, And concerning the women and their situation... I do believe the attraction was immediate. And then obviously when their circumstances were changed and it became somewhat dire, you could also see what happens. And especially now that we're living in kind of like this pandemic world, what you see happening to the women in that one scene when they're all up in the attic, in the boys' beds, and like hell breaks loose. So it is a little bit of both. It's a little Stockholm syndrome-y. I even put the, what did I write down? Something about Beauty and the Beast. Um, I even wrote, yeah, that it was like Beauty and the Beast on steroids. Because not only is it one girl who's got Stockholm Syndrome, we got seven of them with Stockholm Syndrome. Oh my god. And then uh, you're talking about that scene where Dorcas 
Court Dorcas is like, oh, well, okay. So Julie Newmar is a beauty and she has a fucked up name like Dorcas. I mean, Dorcas is like the most exotic name out of the bunch. <laughs> That's true. So you have Dorcas on the bed. Basically, it seems like she's talking about masturbation in a way, right? It's highly sexual. Where she's either masturbating or she's talking about which boy's in bed, meaning like who's jerked off in this bed. Right. Who else has been here before me? It it, it is. It's a sexy. It can be considered a sexy thought. It's like, who who was here first? (laughs) 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 That's as twisted as it's going to get for 1954. That's true. That is very true. And then there's Liza, played by Virginia Gibson, who's the only one out of the six girls. So I'm not counting uh, Jane Powell. Mm -hmm. Out of the six girls who is not dubbed. So not only do you have sexism in the story, but you have sexism off screen in a way, I would say, because like they hire them for their looks um, or their act. Did they really act? (laughs) I mean, they were dancing. There was a lot of dancing. There was a lot of dancing. And they had the, my favorite, (laughs) I, I call it the lady boners. Where in the barn dance, when they pull their skirts out in front of them to be like, my turn? (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. So in this movie, Johnny Mercer is the lyricist. Does that name ring a bell to you? He's a jazzer. He wrote, yes, I looked him up on on his Wikipedia page. He wrote 67 songs from 1933 to 1988. Yep. Won four Academy Awards. And the third one was for Moon River, which, if you don't know that song, there's something wrong with you. I mean, it's used in everything. These it's days. pretty frequent, yeah. I mean, most famously being Breakfast at Tiffany's. Yes, which is what he wanted for. Yep. But the, it was interesting that they have him doing these songs that are a little more westerny. It is. And what's interesting, too, is that if you know anything about how musicals are developed, whether it's for the stage or for some type of screen, is that there's always that part of my brain where I'm like, who else did they ask? Same with directors and things like that. I'm like, I'm just curious who else was on the list. Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe that person was the first pick. Who knows? I mean, it's possible to find out. It just requires a, a decent amount of digging to figure out who else was possibly being asked, who else maybe said yes at one time, but then something else comes up so they had to shelve it. Pre-production stuff. It's a whole other conversation. I didn't look that far into it. <laughs> That's okay. That sounds like it's pre-production. We're mostly talking about stuff that happened in the movie and post, so it doesn't quite, it's not as important. My nerd brain just likes to go there sometimes. <laughs> but like knowing his work and then mm-hmm. listening to the songs, a lot of them, it's it's pure poetry. Like, what was that one? Lonesome Polecat? Oh, so good. Yeah. <laughs> that is beautiful. And even When You're In Love is a beautiful song. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, why are you in this shit show? Like... <laughs> This movie isn't this movie isn't worth it for you, songs. You're you're beautiful on your own or in something <laughs> else. I I suppose, but also I mean, it gives the characters a certain amount of depth in that way. Which when you're when you're you're a performer, getting somebody literally handing that to you on a platter is such a blessing. It doesn't always happen. So when it does, it's like thank you. Thank you for this gift. I'm going to work I'm going to work magic with it in addition to the magic that already exists in the lyrics and in the music. And Howard Keel's voice is just butter. <laughs> we <laughs> this isn't completely appropriate but I was like he has one of those voices that's like drop trow. Like you hear the voice oh, it's like yeah, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready. Let's go. Drop trow. <laughs> um, oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry mom. <laughs> My mother would approve, but still, sorry, mom. Like, bless your beautiful hide. Awful song, but he's beautiful in it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and he's also massive. He's, he's so tall. Yeah, and and Jane Powell is so tiny. She's a little, yep. little teeny tiny pocket mouse and whatnot. Yep. Speaking of them, yes. by the way, they were in the stage version of the show. 
Oh, that's pretty cool. The stage version premiered on Broadway in 1982, and it only lasted five performances. <laughs> okay, and both Howard Keel and Jane Powell were in it. They reprised their roles, yes. I was about to ask that question. Okay, so that's almost, that's t- what, 28-year difference? Yes. Interesting. Okay. Uh-huh. And um, Al, Kasha, and Joel Hirsch... Hirschhorn wrote seven new songs for the show and kept Bless Your Beautiful Hide, Wonderful, Wonderful Day, Go and Courtin, and Sobbin' Women. Ah. And I think they kept the barn scene. I didn't. Oh, no. I feel like they would have to. You have to. It's it's iconic. Pre worst West Side Story world, it's an iconic section of film. Yes. Yes, and it's Period. <laughs> and it's so colorful. I mean, you've got the Technicolor of the time, <laughs> filmed in CinemaScope, baby. <laughs> the, yeah, and like the the brothers are in rainbow attire. The townsfolk are all in gray, so they you know who you're not supposed to like. And then the <laughs> the brides, quote unquote are in a checkered pattern. So they're always, they're in like pastels. Mm-hmm. The one thing I will say about that as a negative. As he wags his finger at me. As I wag my finger at you to the and to the universe. <laughs> part of me hoped that the Pontipi brother and their respective soon-to-be bride had complementary colors. So, like, you look at the color wheel and you go across and you're like... Yeah, diagonals. Yeah. That's just me, though. Like, I... John, I mean, every once in a while, a theater company will produce it. So, next time it happens, I'll just let you know if I hear about it. And I'll be like, you know, my friend, costume it mostly so that everybody can be complimentary. Because if just not, he's going to... number. Yeah. Because if not, he's going to see it on YouTube or something and you're going to get a phone call. <laughs> Uh, you're gonna you're gonna hear from me but like yes i was watching this movie and their skirts and the costumes even the rainbow cut shirts i was just like this is beautiful it's not like this anymore like jane powell's first skirt mm-hmm. has that one quilted section and i was just oh like, it's stunning oh. yeah at first you think it's a patch because it's ripped, but I don't know if it is or not, whatever. I don't care. It's beautiful. Well, it, it evolves because, you know, the last dress she wears is a complete quilted dress. Yes. So I, that's an interesting evolution possibly to track as well. Oh, oh I have homework to rewatch this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just, you know, fast forward through it because that's like true. we said, there's, there's a great deal of problems from the modern viewer's perspective as well. So, and, yeah. And and stop and play it play at speed the barn dance and barn racing and then fast forward again. <laughs> Ooh, okay. So, with the barn racing moment, <sighs> do you think it was like we know it's not the Ponnaby brothers' fault that what was happening, but do you think technically it's their fault? So, like, you know, they were not, they were trying. What do you to, mean by technically? So, they were trying not to fight, trying not to fight, trying not to fight, right? Um, right. Because they had Millie's voice in their head being like, you gotta be gentlemen. But they technically had the first swing, first punch. Yes, the assholes, the other town folk were dropping tools on them. Yeah, and stepping on them and stuff. Yeah. Um, here's what I'll say. I don't think it's all of their fault. I mean, part it's it's part conditioning because it's who they are and who they've always been kind of naturally at their core. And it's still when you're like learning new things and new habits, it's very easy when it's still fairly new to revert to what you know and to what's comfortable. Which for them, what's comfortable is knocking the crap out of somebody who makes them angry. And eating like animals, like that's that's that whole opening that that whole opening bit in the house. That's exactly what it is. I will, however, say they were doing really well and handling themselves rather more properly. I guess we'll say until Adam 
antagonizes them. Oh, yeah. That, for me, is, as soon as the big brother comes in and says, what are you doing? You're just going to let them do this to you? You're a bunch of this, that. And he's calling them all kind of cowards and calling them names. Really, Adam is the biggest perpetrator under these circumstances. I would not blame all the brothers, but I do definitely blame him for not positively reinforcing the other behavior. Because he doesn't, at that point in the movie, he doesn't believe in it. Yeah, and even the fact that he was the one that came up with the idea about stealing the women. Yes, it's, yeah. Uh-huh. And didn't see the fault in it. I was just like, what? Yeah, he, he lacks forethought. Um, he's our guest on. He's ultimately, it's about me, myself, and don't forget me. But not gay. <laughs> yeah, yes. Definitely, probably not. <laughs> but then, you know. It, it's I just, assume nothing! <laughs> so definitely put his mindset to that. But then it took the, the birth of his daughter to be like, ooh, we made a boo-boo. Like, yeah, yeah. And it's the fact that also Millie is able to forgive him, to let him back into their lives. Because she, I mean, you could see in that moment just as well when everybody was standing up kind of almost a wall in front of her as like to protect her because they knew what, you know... Dick Mulberry, Adam, what, what is he going to do right. to her? What is he going to do to this baby? Like, you. So watching this movie, mm-hmm. would you rewatch it again? Uh, I might. Even I though it makes know. me angry at certain points, I might. Or will you be like me and just watch the barn raising, the barn <laughs> dance on YouTube? I would watch the barn raising. I mean, I also I'm a sucker for a really, really great baritone voice because in especially in contemporary musical theater, both in television, you know, like Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist and so on. Smash. I'll put that one out there, too. You don't get a real delicious, I I love that word. You don't get a delicious baritone voice that often. People aren't really writing for that as much as they were then. They're writing for these higher tenor, rock, whatever sound, because that's what's currently, and I'm putting air quotes because you can't, people who are listening can't hear me, see me, can't see me. Using the air quotes, I'm like, they find it to be more appealing. But for me personally, maybe it's because I grew up with classical music and opera. I mean, I do love a soaring tenor. I will, that's great too, but like a really great baritone. I'm like, okay, this is, this is home. This is comfy for me. Would you call this movie a little operatic in nature then with the story? I think so. I think that because the story is as rather ridiculous as it is and i mean that as a compliment it's a pretty ridiculous story and the fact that when you really listen if you're just going to listen to it there isn't a ton of dialogue the amount that we the amount of music we hear and the amount of that we hear singing i believe i would have to obviously check this but i think it outweighs how much is actually spoken oh yeah there's a there's a lot of song yeah i think like the last third of the movie is almost exclusively music yeah, because it goes from, like, the June Bride with the girls singing yes, yes. into a reprise of it into Spring, Spring, Spring. Spring, Spring. Mm-hmm. And that just, like, ha- I-, I was watching it and I'm look- looking at my list of songs and I'm like, which one are we in now? <laughs> so, I, you know, it just took you men- saying the word opera and I was like, ooh, is this like an opera? Operetta, maybe? Yeah, I mean, because operetta, usually there is there is some dialogue, um, but it is. It's closer to that style, even though it's a Western, a pioneer, or whatever word you, would, you opt to choose to describe it. It's still, from a strictly structural point of view, closer to an operetta in some ways than it is to a musical. That's well put, actually. <laughs> Now, do you have the score to this? I can get the score to it. No, don't worry about it. I mean, I was going to say, I didn't know if you... But it's not in front of me at this moment. I didn't know if you knew, like, any musical trivia, like, music trivia to it. (laughs) I didn't come prepared! 
I'm sorry. No, not offhand. I don't. Nope. I, I was not expecting you to do anything. I didn't tell you. <laughs> I just said, watch it, and we're going to talk about it. So yes. <laughs> I didn't know if, like, you know, how you watch musical movies, if you're like, let's have the score and figure it out. I will sometimes do that for operas, musicals, not so much, because with opera, especially, no, it's just opera in general. It's a lot of parking and barking, so they aren't really moving around as much, whereas something like Seven Brides or Seven Brothers, there is a ton of action, even whether that's underscored. So yes, you could feasibly have the score out while you're watching it, but for me as a performer, I'm like, no, nah, I need to see what the dancers are up to. I want to see what that guy in the back was like picking his nose. Like what's up with him. You want to watch I become that? more of an actor in that way. I think than like a musician. You want to watch Jeff Richards, not dance. <laughs> I mean, especially if he's like doing something interesting. One can, you, you just don't know. Which brother would you have if you could pick one? Oh goodness. So I watched this with my roommate, um, last night and she was coming in and out of, uh, sleeping and napping on the couch but every time she woke up she's like oh hey Benjamin <laughs> so personally I, I would like Benjamin or Frank either of them would be wonderful but then again I've been single for so long that my taste could also be questionable at this point in time or non-existent I can be extremely honest with myself in that regard <laughs> is there anything else that you want to like talk about or before we get before we get to sharp and flat, is there anything else that you want to like bring up and have a therap and therapize? Yeah, actually, there is something interesting. Um, I think there's a scene missing between when Adam finds out about his daughter and when he comes back. Oh, I wanted a carousel soliloquy and I didn't get it. <laughs> And I was a little disappointed in that because I, in my mind, I'm like, why is he coming back? If he has all those feelings that he claims to have, which is, I hate her, you know, she, she threw me out of my house and ah, I'm a man or whatever. I think that that's missing. Maybe it's in the play. Maybe it's in the stage version, but it's not in the movie. And I felt it. I felt that I didn't get the change from him that I personally as an audience member really desired um i'm looking it up right now okay hold for research um okay so it's a little weird because obviously they changed things around right i think the barn raising moment they call the spring dance in the show okay they have a reprise of wonderful wonderful day that might be what you're missing. Okay, and he's and it's um, Adam Pontipi that sings it, yeah? It's Adam and Millie. Oh, interesting. Okay. All right. Well, I'm going to have to do some research. But in the movie, I was missing that. Yes, yes. I, I didn't see anything about cut songs or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But I could I could see what you mean. There needs to be some sort of soliloquy moment. Where... Or just, yeah, or him just realizing exactly how wrong he is. Because that's the, uh, maybe that's really what it is. I'm sorry. Maybe it's that I wanted him to apologize. Ooh, okay. Go with me on this one. Ready? Okay. Do I have Ready? to? <laughs> I have an, a, a spark of genius, I promise. <laughs> okay. It's a second reprise of Bless Your Beautiful Hide, but... It's not as sexist as the first one. It's him realizing all of his mistakes and everything. So you have the music of, but it's obviously different lyrics of him apologizing to the universe. Yeah, because that's really what it is. There's no atonement. And she's just like, oh, you're home and I love you because I missed you. And that's where my brain, I think, as a fierce, ridiculous, independent woman immediately seizes up. I'm like, no, Millie, you are doing so well. <laughs> I understand that you were doing so well. Rewatching this, there was a moment mm-hmm. that I added a scene in my head. Uh, like I, <laughs> okay. <laughs> like I said, I saw this as a kid and part of me falsely remembered after the barn raising debacle that the Ponaby brothers went and fixed it. And I was, and I was a little upset that that didn't happen. 
you know, they, they broke the barn and nothing happened from there. Exactly. There's no atonement. <laughs> Nobody apologizes for shit. Can I say shit? I'm going to say yes, shit. You can. I've, okay, said, I've said shit and fuck so many times already. I know, but I'm a guest. I don't know what I'm allowed, what the rules are. Oh, or, but, the, but, but the rules are arbitrary, aren't they? The explicit content, baby. Um, Woo! Okay, got it. Well, would you say you? we were talking about how Gideon is the only one that has a character arc. Do you think <laughs> he atones for himself? Yes. Yes. And, and it's a short moment where he's the youngest brother goes to get the oldest brother at the trapper cabin where he rides up. And yes, I think in that moment, that's his, that is a pivoting moment for him where he realizes like, I, and he's, I think it's a line where he's like, I love you, but this is wrong. I can't support you doing this. It's something along those lines where he's like, I've always looked up to you, but I can't look up to this. So we've seen one out of the seven brothers reach atonement. Yes. <laughs> That's, in the clutch uh, of it all <laughs> that's not some good odds i'm gonna say that right yeah now. exactly i'm like well that that in in high school world is a uh, fail <laughs> you all failed well let's get into sharp and flat shall we sharp flat so in this section we're gonna highlight moments whether we if we liked it it's sharp and if we didn't like it or if it could be cut out it's flat lauren do you have any sharp moments sharp i would say love it first bite that moment (laughs) between i'm serious that moment between adam and millie at the top of the uh, ish of the movie where he strolls into the bar, he sees her and he goes in and she has that immediate reaction to him being there. Like the effect they have on each other. Sharp. Yeah, that was, it was a nice meet cute. Mm-hmm. It was, it really was. I said that I also um, like that Millie is kind of ahead of her time, especially compared to other female characters in musical theater at that point in history. I think I said the same thing. Where mm-hmm. it's Millie's pseudo feminism. Obviously, yes. she she gets married at at the first man that basically asks her in this uh-huh. from what we see, but like she's the one that is whipping the boys into shape and all that. She really comes into her own. Um, I would also definitely say um the dance sequences in the movie. All of them, period. I agree a thousand percent. <laughs> Michael Kidd! Snaps for Michael Kidd! <laughs> yeah, those are my big ones. I'm going to add to it. Please. So I also wrote Howard Keel's voice. Ah, yes. This is butter. <laughs> yes. It's like butter. Um, mm-hmm. I mentioned it earlier, and I'm going to say it again. The costumes... The golden age of Hollywood has a very specific look to it, especially when they do the Westerns. And I'm always just like, oh, it's beautiful. We never get this. And then I want to add Mrs. Bixby. (laughs) Gotta bring her into the mix. Damn right. (laughs) With her thousand percent feminism. Yes. So she's also way ahead of her time, Mm -hmm. especially for a secondary character. Okay. Let's get to flat, Lauren. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, I'm going to start with societal pressure to marry, but only to the right person. Ooh. That whole conversation that happens at the Parsons house when they she when Millie brings Adam to meet them. And she's like, oh, I'm marrying him. And then their reaction, which she then in turn explains, like you just said earlier, like you really want me to marry, you really want me to marry, but here he, and I bring somebody who wants to marry me and you say no. Not a cool catch 22. Make up your damn mind. <laughs> exactly. Um, I, let's, that's the start of the feminism rant. Um, not part of the feminism rant. Um, it is... <laughs> The crazy crane shots and the fact that there are points where it's so supremely obvious that they are filming on a soundstage. <laughs> like, I had moments where I, I didn't realize that as a kid, but as an adult, I'm like, oh my god, that's fake grass. Oh my god, I can, t- I can like, see the brush strokes. Which, of course, props to the painters and the set designers and everything else. My friend, But I really, as a child, believed that they filmed all of that in the actual woods, not soundstage woods. So, call me, color me disappointed. They totally did, Lauren. What are you talking about? <laughs> 
don't gaslight me. I know better. Uh, then, you know, there's the crew guys that are pushing that snow. Yes. <laughs> Some poor union guy is back there. Mad as hell. Um, okay, something else. Oh, why should one woman have to save a large group of men? That's part of the feminism, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It is. It really, really is. And that, of course, ties directly into, let's kidnap some women because we don't have enough of them here. Because <laughs> that was really, I mean, watching it with my 2020 self, I'm like, that was a terrible idea. Yours are all terrible ideas. Really, it's a movie that is a bunch of terrible ideas tied together with really great dance numbers. That's the best way to put it. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Maybe I have to change my answer. Maybe I don't want to watch this ever again. Well, no, you watch the barn, <laughs> the barn scene again. And maybe yes. go in Courtney because that's a beautiful dance sequence. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I'm, I'm going to leave them there because I feel like I just, those are the ones that really hit some nerves with me personally. So for me, I wrote toxic using toxic masculinity as humor. Yes. So Frankincense not liking his name and punching everyone who says it. <laughs> He's triggered. I'm just like, yes. maybe like do a little something else. Um, and then Adam. Adam and Adam, the Millie Pontivy School of Etiquette. Yes, exactly. <laughs> just all of Adam. Like, yes. he's the worst. Mm-hmm. Okay, Lauren, would you like to add any of the songs in the movie to your life's playlist? I think I know which ones, but let's let's see what you say. I feel like we're just harping on it, but it's because it's true. Um, The barn dance. I said the same thing. <laughs> but only when I clean my apartment. Ba, 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 da, da, da. I'm vacuuming right now. Exactly. And now we're gonna dust the fan. Ba, 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 da, da, da. Yep. Damn straight. <laughs> and then you know you're gonna do a pirouette and you're gonna clean the dishes and yes, I agree with you a thousand percent. Mm-hmm. Would you? Okay, I'm gonna add another another question. Okay. Would you add any of the songs to your book? Would you sing any of them for an audition or for a cabaret night or something? You can say no. <laughs> okay um i'm sitting here going well i guess i could do go in court and but have it be ironic <laughs> so th- i guess the real um true answer is eh, no probably not mostly because for the at least um for the female voice there's not a whole whole lot there millie in the movie i think has one and a half songs Mm-hmm. So it makes it like, again, it, it's a movie mostly that features men. So I think if I were possibly a male singer, I, there is, there's a lot more material for me to pull from stylistically, especially. So um, probably not. <laughs> there's also just music. There's not a lot of songs with lyrics and things like that. So precisely, it's a lot. There's a lot of songs, but they're not all singing voice. So right, right. That said, if somebody, because I occasionally produce, if somebody walked into the room and started singing Bless Your Beautiful Hide, I would be in a puddle on the floor. So I, I think it's music that instead of me singing, I prefer to hear other people sing. Not necessarily to me, but like in a room that I happen to be in. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you have the right baritone come in and bust that Bless Your Beautiful Hide, of course... Now you are going to reach for your pussy hat, but also you're going to be like, okay, that was good. Put on hat. You better be. Better be better exactly. Better Can you come back man. tomorrow? <laughs> you come back tomorrow with a different song. Yes. Something in that, that sounds that good, but maybe not that those words. <laughs> maybe not. Nothing against Johnny Mercer. He was just doing his job, but different words would be good. Uh, Lauren, we've come to the end of the podcast. Yay! We did it. We did it with all the technical issues and everything. That's okay. I'm sure you have plenty of material and whatever you don't have, I'm sorry. No take backsies. (laughs) We'll figure it out. Is there anything you want to plug or promote? Oh man, my OnlyFans page. I'm just... (laughs) 
yeah. <laughs> I'm only kidding. There's no such thing. You won't find me on there, and that's probably for the best for everybody. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I, I don't know. I, I teach voice lessons, much. and if you want to make pretty noises, call me, or um, you can find me on Instagram at lajiz underscore sangs. That's at L-A-G-I-Z-Z underscore S-A-N-G-S on Instagram. You can find me there. Um, I write, I produce, I direct. I've been doing a lot of stuff in quarantine. Send help. If you like me, give me money to do things. That's that's the best plug I can do. Oh, oh, oh. And if you don't like me, give me money to go away. Thumbs go. up. <laughs> Two I'm thumbs gonna, up. I'm going to add to you. Um, you can find Dead Man's Toe Productions. Yep. DMT. On, mm-hmm. on YouTube. They have two like 10 minute videos. We have two specials. So I, that's where the writing thing comes in. So we, the first one is we did for Halloween, which is called Bring Us to Life, a Hocus Pocus parody. And then um, I wrote Mary Sanderson presents a Hocus Pocus carol, which is where your favorite witch is attempt to get through a Christmas carol and things go awry. And I am in the middle of writing our third special, which is um, Sarah Sanderson's uh, dating matchmaking show. Probably sometime in February, we're thinking for Valentine's Day-ish. Um, but because I haven't written it and because we haven't done post-mortem on the Christmas one, oh no! <laughs> Don't worry, this is probably coming out in April, so you have... Then it doesn't matter! Hooray! By the time you guys listen to it, it'll already be on <laughs> YouTube. And then if you want to get in touch with the podcast, this podcast, uh, you can email me at buttersongpod at gmail.com. And uh, we're, we're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Buttersong Pod. And I don't know if you want to like Ooh. defend this movie or whatever, but you're more than welcome to. Maybe one day I'll, I'll read responses if there's enough. Um, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> They'll be there, John. Have faith. I have a lot of faith. And on the next episode, we're going to be watching, we're going to be discussing burlesque. Ooh, a scandal. I love it. It's going to be interesting. Mm-hmm. But I'm excited cuz uh wait until you wait until you see who's who's coming on. You know this person. <laughs> oh, I do. Oh, I love it when that friends help friends. This is good. Yes. So, Lauren, why don't we um go raise a barn? Can we do that in Queens? I feel like we, there's like we need permits uh no let's just do it like okay we'll we'll, we'll have a dance and everything Woo! okay cool i'll meet you up in Cortland park <laughs> bye guys Hi. special thanks to justin johnson for creating the podcast's artwork and to nick bombasino for composing the theme song and the jingles in this podcast and thank you to Castbox for hosting this podcast Bye again, everyone, and have a musical day.